Good morning, church. We are in Mark 10 this morning again, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. My heart's racing. Tiger Woods says, if you're not nervous, you're not alive. So I feel, feel okay about that. But I have a couple of th- things going through my mind right now as, as we break open this text together. Mark was likely the first gospel written, we believe. And so for us to be my first couple of weeks in the pulpit with you guys, in the two of the more iconic passages in all of the gospel, was a little bit overwhelming. And I'm just trying to get my bearings. You know, I've got couple of weeks in, I'm still worried about little things, and maybe they're not little things, because I don't know yet if they're big things or little things, like what am I supposed to wear when I come before you, and it's St. Patrick's Day, and should I really wear my green pants, but maybe I shouldn't wear my green pants. Am I going to say the right things? Are we going to be welcoming? Is anybody going to think I can do this? These are the kind of things we think about, right? And then I just talked for 30 seconds about me, totally. And the last thing this is about is me, and there's not a better text in all of Scripture this morning for us to look at, for to be reminded that it's not about us. And James and John stepped in that with Jesus, and we'll see that in a moment. But we really are at this this point in Scripture where where Jesus is is explaining to the disciples what is going on, and it it is really important that they understand, that they hear him, and it continues to be important for us today, some 2,000 years later, for us to, to be open to this text as followers of Jesus, disciples trying to help make disciples, we talk about over and over again, for us to hear the words of Jesus in this text that he had for James and John and the rest of the disciples. So I'm really excited to be here with you today. We'll be in verses 32 through through 45, but if you'll remember last week, we looked in at a verse in chapter 8 and a verse in chapter 9. Well, first, 8.31, which said, And he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and rise again after three days. And then again in chapter 9, actually verse 31 as well, it says, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he's killed, he will rise three days later. And so in our text today, beginning in verse 32, Jesus, he goes at this again with the disciples. The third time that Jesus has tried to tell the disciples what is going on. As they they have turned their focus toward Jerusalem, and they are walking that way into the latter days of Jesus' life and all that will go on there, Jesus is, is making clear, trying to make clear to the disciples What's going to happen? So we begin in verse 32 together today. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and the disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. In the twelve aside again, he, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, And they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. 
Jesus here, y'all, is acting as a prophet. He often does this, and it's beautiful when he does because we get to we get to a glimpse into what God is not only going to do, but what God is doing. Prophets speak for God, and Jesus is doing that here. And in speaking for God, he's announcing God's kingdom. He's announcing God's kingdom. Verse 34 says, three days later, he will rise. We have the resurrection foreshadowed here as it was in chapter 8. Jesus is the king, and what this proclamation is pointing to is that exactly what we sung about in the, in the, the anthem, that all the brokenness in our world will be gone when this kingdom that Jesus is alluding to, that Jesus is teaching us is breaking in, that is happening, that is already, but not yet. You'll hear me say that a lot, and I hope we come to understand what that means. I'm still figuring it out together as we go. This kingdom that Jesus is announcing is coming, and it's also yet to come. But all the brokenness in the world, when it comes, will be resolved, healed. Shalom will come. It will be taken care of. The fabric that this world was knit together with by God when God created all things that was torn because of sin will be put back together. There'll be no breaks in it. There'll be no faults in it. It will be as it was intended to be. And, and I need that good news with y'all this morning. I need to know that it will be as it was intended to be after we have weeks like this. And all too often we have weeks like this, it seems, where, where terror tends to reign in the world because of, of an isolated incident that has no part in what God intended but brings so much havoc to a community and terror to so many lives. Regardless of if they're Christian or Muslim or fill in the blank, we pray for New Zealand this morning and those families that were affected by the heinous events of a confused and wrong individual this week. Jesus' ministry that we see going on, that the disciples have a front row seat for, detailed in Mark's gospel, the, the healings, the miracles, etc., they are signs that indeed the kingdom is coming and that it will fully come. And Jesus is, is giving us glimpses of that. But weeks like this, it can be hard to see that. So we need to be reminded of it together. And make no mistake, y'all, Jesus is not... Simply, or Jesus is not just announcing that the kingdom is coming. That's, that, that's actually what I'm doing right now and what you're doing when you sing the songs to one another. We're, we're announcing in our finite human selves that the kingdom is coming. What Jesus is doing here is embodying it because Jesus is not just the herald. Jesus knows he's the king. This is God explaining what God is like, and we should listen much better than the disciples Tended to. Jesus does not merely comfort. Jesus is comfort. Jesus does not just bring peace. Jesus is peace. And he is trying to communicate this to those who are following him. What they need is him, not just the things that Jesus can give him. I am so guilty of that at times. I want the good things that Jesus offers. I want, I want the product. But that's not what Jesus offers. Really. Sure, some of that becomes ancillary to what the reward really is that we spoke of last week when we looked at what Jesus was promising the rich young ruler. The reward is Jesus. And what it looks like to, to follow him and to receive what comes from being his disciple is that we actually 
get Jesus. I don't even like putting it that way, as if Jesus is something to possess. But we get relationship with Jesus. We are counted as worthy somehow to follow Jesus, to be in relationship with him as the disciples modeled for us here. The disciples are following Jesus. They're, they're literally following him around and all that is going on. And, and what Jesus is doing is he is showing them, he is charting out the way that life is for these disciples. He's saying, in effect, I, I know you all want to see the redemption of Israel that you have longed for for so long, but this, this path to restoration, it's, it's not what you think it is. The, the great good that you, that you long for, it's going to require a sacrifice that you might not be ready for. And that is why I'm preparing you. That's why I'm saying it over and over again, what is going to happen to me. Again, this is the third time he has told them this. But Hold, hold up. Before I or we get too indignant with the disciples about not hearing what Jesus is trying to tell them, let's examine our own hearts for a minute and realize how hard-headed and lack of hearing we can be at times. Just yesterday, I was in my own dining room. I didn't tell my wife I'm telling this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. And, and I was sitting there, and I was doing a few things, and, and she was talking to me about something that was really important, and I really was listening, honey. I was, and I heard I heard what you said, but she continued to repeat it to me after I heard what she said, and I got frustrated because she was telling me again something that I'd already heard. And so I said, why are you still telling me? And then she got upset with me because I asked her why she's still telling me because she looked at me and she said, because I didn't think you heard me. But I did hear her. But her telling me again was perfectly fair because there have been plenty of times in 15 years of marriage where I have not listened very well to what she was trying to tell me. It made sense, and it was fair. And that's kind of what we have going on here with the disciples. They probably hear what Jesus is saying, but they're not hearing Jesus. What he is trying to communicate to them is not resonating with them. It is not going into their being and affecting them. Let's look at verse 35. If we need proof that it's not affecting them, exhibit A, James and John. The sons of Zebedee approached him and said, Teacher, we want to do whatever we ask. we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in glory. Not listening closely enough to Jesus three different times, remember, causes James and John to miss the mark with their question here. Now, perhaps it's not exactly the wrong question, but what's implied in the way they ask it, I believe, misses the mark considerably. And this is a product of them not comprehending what Jesus has been trying to tell them. So Jesus asked them, well, what do you want me to do? Well, they want to sit next to the king when he's on his throne. See, sitting to the left and the right of the king in the king's glory, that is a position of honor. And it seems that James and John want to be recognized as great, and so do we. So often, verse 38, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared the disciples all needed to realize they didn't know what they needed. They needed to turn their attention to the one 
slowly who was doing the miraculous in their midst. They needed to get their focus off of themselves and point it to Jesus. They were at least correct in Jesus's, in their assessment of Jesus's kingship, but they were misevaluating what that meant for them in following the king, and they were misevaluating what that meant for Jesus in being the king. The cup here is a metaphor for the consequences that must be accepted. Jesus' use of this metaphor indicates that he is accepting the consequences on others' behalf. And only he can do it. Jesus told his disciples last week, in response to his interaction with the rich young ruler, that he explained to them what the reward was for following him. And part of that list included persecution, if you'll remember. For us to drink the cup or be baptized with, into Christ's death is to count the cost of following Jesus, and it's to count it daily. So the issue with Jesus going up to Jerusalem, the text told us, would be they, they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him, and they will kill him. These are, these are four strong verbs in, in ascending ferocity. The cup which he drinks and the baptism which he is baptized with involves his actual offering of his own life. So his question then for his disciples is, can you too offer your life? And that's the question for us today as well. Can we offer our lives? And so we come to the pivotal moment in Mark's entire gospel narrative Look at verse 41 with me. When the disciples heard this, when the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be first among you Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We, the world lost Dallas Willard a couple of years ago. I loved reading Dr. Willard's anything I could get my hands on by him. And, and, and this quote by him I want to, to share with you, and I probably will share it often with you. But he says, The gospel is less about how to get in the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Service. Offering our lives, this, this kingdom work that is comprised of disciples making disciples in the way that we, we live out what God has called us to, to be as followers of, of Jesus. I was telling the, the worship team before we started today that it occurs to me that, well, I've, I've said it my whole life, we're going to worship service. We say those words together. It's actually a tautology to say those words together. It's redundant. Those words mean the same thing, worship and service. To worship God is to serve God. To serve God is to, to worship God. Those, 
those men that were on the, the video before I, before I preached, I don't know how many of you don't know how this is set up here, but it's, uh, it's incredible for me. Every Monday afternoon, I get to meet with those guys for several hours and talk about the text, and, and we get to, to sit with Mike Glenn each week and, and talk about this stuff. It's incredible. I love it. I'm so thankful for it. Mike blogs with um, Pathios, and I encourage all of you to, to check out his really insightful, great blog posts on Pathios.com. He, he writes under Scott McKnight, who's his, who is his friend um, from um, Northern Seminary up in Chicago, writes under his blog. And, and Mike this week put out a blog post on worship. It seems like it was inspired by by this passage that we're in this morning. In, in this blog post, Mike explored the topic of, of worship and our, and our attitude as we come together to worship. And we all so often come here frantic, worn out after an extremely busy week, and that's okay. Our weeks are, are supposed to be busy for many of us, but not without peace, not without shalom, but we'll, we'll talk about that more later. But it makes it very important our time here, to, for it to be something that's, that's restorative, that's life-giving. Gathering together is so important. Mike said this, we, we celebrate God's faithfulness to us in the past, and then we eagerly look to see how God will reveal himself in the days to come. That's what we're doing here together. We're reminding one another of the gospel. This in this text, this is the first time that Jesus explains why he has to die. To give his life as a ransom for many. What we bring here and what we do here together, it helps prepare us for what God is asking of us in the week to come. This, this matters not because I'm great, not because you're great, not because James and John are great, but because God is great. And God's greatness literally has the power to change lives. As Jamie Smith, professor at Calvin College, says, in this, in this time of already, not yet, the end and goal of worship is being sent from this transformational encounter as God's witnesses and God's image bears. Can, can you hear Jason saying it to you now? You're, you're loved and you're sent. And the gospel is less about how we get into heaven, in the kingdom of heaven after we die, Willard says, and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before we die. It's not just about coming here to get filled up so we feel better, so that we have a couple of nice conversations with one another. We're not checking boxes so that our eternal scorecard looks better. This is not what we do here together as we gather separate from what we do the rest of the week. Worship and service are redundant. And Jesus is asking us, can we offer our lives? We gather here to rehearse together what it looks like to offer our lives, to be filled up encouraged, knocked down off of our high horse and refocused on Jesus the King so that we can go from here and offer our 
lives. Chris Wyman was a terminal cancer patient. He was 39, and he was newly married. He and his wife grieved his diagnosis. And then one morning, he said, we found ourselves going to church. We just found ourselves there. We put down the Sunday paper and all the bad news, and we moved toward the door of our local church. And once inside the church, we were discovering exactly where and who we were meant to be. Y'all, I hope so much that the church at Harpathites is a place like that church. Casting aside the Sunday paper, I hope we are a good news church who, who does a great job of caring for one another. That when we read the texts of Scripture that are our sacred texts, and when we sing the songs of our faith that are our sacred songs, and when we gather in our life groups and community, that we are reminded continually of the good news of the gospel that Jesus chose to share with his disciples right here, even though they weren't hearing him, that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to literally give his life. Wyman identified in suffering and dying with the God who also suffered and died, and there was no glory associated with Wyman's death. Thankfulness was even hard to come by at times because it was so hard It felt like he was missing so many years that he could have had by dying so young. But God met he and his wife in the midst of all that through the church. And glimpses of grace did come. And and Chris was assured in his soul of the presence of God on this side of death and, we believe, the other side. He lived out Dallas Willard's quote even in his grave medical diagnosis to to ask to sit at Jesus's right and his left is presumptuous and we need to understand that it's not really going to be sitting very much you see Jesus's throne is mobile to be next to Jesus is to serve it is to ask of Jesus Lord please break our hearts for what breaks your heart. Literally give us your eyes and give us your heart for your people. Give us your heart for your people. You know, if James and John had been granted permission to sit at Jesus' right or left in his glory, it would not have been as they imagined. When Jesus sat in his glory with one on his right and one on his left, it was on the cross where Jesus quite literally offered his life for you and for me. And I pray that we won't miss this morning, I won't miss this morning, the opportunity we have to see in this text that he is asking of us the same thing. As he counts us able and worthy to follow him wherever he may take us, 
that he would ask of us to ask of him to give us his eyes and his heart to be his very hands and his feet to continue his very life and his work throughout Nashville, Middle Tennessee, and the rest of the world. Can we too, church, offer our lives in service to the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who can literally give us himself and save us, creating us as he intended for us to be, his very children. Would you pray with me? Lord, don't let us be too hard on James and John. Let us see ourselves in this story. May we take a couple of moments together to consider what you're asking of us here. Can we reflect on your heart for your world that you did not come to be served as, as any other king would, but that you were totally different. You are totally different. And your kingdom is in breaking and we are somehow called to take part in that. We thank you, God, count us worthy to follow you only because of your son and his grace. Lord, continue to break our hearts for what breaks yours. Continue to build us into who you are asking us, who you are making us to be. None of this is because of us. It is, is all because of you. Thank you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.